Hello and welcome back to the Would You Give Me a Stagehand podcast. I'm Toby Patan and this is a podcast by industry for industry kinda because I'm not really in the industry yet and I'm trying to break in. Thus, this podcast was born. On this week's episode of the podcast, I speak with Piyu Sumani, who I met on the set of short film and gone on to work other projects with as well. Piyu is an assistant camera, a film educator, and of course, a brilliant filmmaker in her own right. We talk about working out finances as a filmmaker, how you support yourself as a filmmaker, and pivoting into a career of filmmaking when that wasn't the path that was originally outlined for you. I know these episodes are released relatively sporadically. Thank you for bearing with me and keeping that in mind. But the reason why this break was longer um, was because I was in Greece. I went to Greece and it was amazing. It was the first time I left the country and it was so beautiful. But to the Parthenon and we went to beautiful beaches, we ate delicious food, we went clubbing which is probably my favorite part and honestly overall it was just an experience of a lifetime. The town that we stayed in is called Kineta and I would be remiss to not take this opportunity to talk about the film Kineta directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Αυτός ανταποδίδει το χαστούκι με το δεξί του χέρι. Την πλησιάζει και αυτή σηκώνει τα χέρια της και τον σπρώχνει. Αυτός πάει πίσω. Την ξαναπλησιάζει και την ώρα που πάει να την αρπάξει, αυτή σηκώνει τα χέρια της και τον πιάνει. Τα σώματά τους αρχίζουν και κινούνται I have been a fan of Yorgos Lanthimos for years now. He directs one of my favorite films of all time, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yet, I didn't know that he had made this film, Kineta, which came out in 2005. The film, I believe, is entirely shot in Kineta, which was crazy. I remember my friend telling me this about a couple days into the trip and me thinking that was really cool. And so I decided to watch the film when I got back from Greece. Here are my thoughts on Kineta, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Right off the bat, from the first introductory shots of the film, I was immediately reminded of the film Stranger Than Paradise, directed by Diem Jarmouche, I think is how you say his name, I'm not sure. What mostly gave me that vibe was the static shots very minimalist shot setups and wide shots specifically. I also loved how this film utilized the handheld shot. It was just perfect in evoking the tone that it needed to and was scrappy in a way that I believe overall lended perfectly to the tone. This film also had very minimal dialogue, which leads me to wonder, is dialogue what makes or breaks a film? I also don't know if it's just the art house genre in general or if non-western filmmaking tend to lean towards less dialogue and more mise-en-scene in general. Is it the experimental nature of this film or is it this tendency to just rely less on dialogue and have things be 
less wordy and explain to audiences that non-Western filmmaking tends to lean towards. Likewise, this film has just about no score, but the sound landscape is still able to stay so tuned in and specific. This film also kind of blends the genres of surrealist, comedic, and melodrama. There's a scene at the 35 minutes and 30 second mark, and it's a 45 second long tracking shot, which genuinely made me nauseous. A scene in the film that really stands out to me is at the 35 minutes and 30 second mark. It's about a 45 second long tracking shot, which genuinely made me feel nauseous and sick to my stomach. Not in a good way or a bad way, I just think it's cool when film evokes visceral reactions like that. I also had an Exploration Live moment, shout out another podcast that I love, and this happened at the 39 and 6 second mark of the film. Morning. And this also happened to me in Greece, so I wanted to explain it. So it's basically that thing where your brain makes phonetic sense of a word you'd never thought to make phonetic sense of before, or when a word relates to another word phonetically. So while I was in Greece, I was staying at my friend's family's house, and in one of the bathrooms, there was a tube of toothpaste. And in Greek, phonetically, the word for toothpaste was denti-pasta. Denti meaning tooth, pasta meaning paste. And a light bulb went off in my head. Of course, the word for pasta just means paste because it's a paste that you squeeze through a pasta machine. And the same thing happened to me while I was watching this film. At around 39 second mark, there's a scene where two characters are kind of going back and forth translating words between Greek and another language. I can't catch the second language, but they go, Spanikopita. Well, he says Spanikopita and the subtitle for Spanikopita is spinach pie. So my brain does the same connection and of course, spaniko means spinach in Greek, and pita means pie. This is just an amazing connection. I love when my brain does that. The main takeaway from this is that being exposed to other languages just makes you smarter, and perhaps I should invest more time in studying Spanish. Going back to what I said about the film having minimal score, just to reiterate that, by the halfway point in the film, there's only been probably one song or moment of score in the entire film, which I think aids the film. It doesn't need much score or music because it's so pointed in other ways and it keeps you engaged. The scenes never go where you think they're gonna go and the beginning of scenes are so spring-loaded with tension and that said tension is released continuously. So that is my quick review of the film Kineta directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. If there are any other films you want me to watch and give my take on, please leave that in the review section of this podcast. And while you're at it, leave me a review. Help a guy gain some traction. On with the episode.
Hi, Toby. I'm PU. I work as an assistant camera wherever I can, and that's the job I love the most. I also do some video editing, and then I also do some teaching. I think my interest in film has always been there. I just kind of didn't know what it was until my, you know, college. Um, I was in, a, in an environment that was highly academic and wanted me to, you know, pursue STEM. And my parents are really conservative. So I, growing up, I didn't have access to movies or or music. You know, I I was allowed to watch 30 minutes of television every day. And that was shared with my brother. So and I have an older brother. So obviously, if it's not obvious who got the dibs, um, he got the dibs. And then we would kind of rewatch the same film he had. He had one DVD. And a lot of the times we didn't even have cable connections. So he had one DVD of a film, of a Hindi film called Koi Milgya. And we would just keep watching that film because we only had one film. And like we didn't have access to other stuff. Um, but like when, you know, I was in my high school and I kind of started living outside of my parents' house. Um, I started to get introduced to like TV shows, American shows, and kind of like other things, movies, um, that I, you know, gravitated towards and started watching and made a decision to go out and watch. So it wasn't like I had a laptop and I could stream. It was, I would have to go to a cyber cafe and they had all the shows and everything pirated. So I would go there and watch it and, um you have to pay for like how long you are sitting there. So that was the culture. And it was quite cheap considering now how expensive it is to watch things and everything was pirated. But um, that experience was really fun. Uh, It was scary because I was in an environment where like mostly there were a lot of boys playing games and video games. So I was like the only one going to watch like movies and TV shows. But anyways, that is a little bit of my backstory. Can you remember any of those films that like, you actively sought out on your own? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I watched a lot of classics. Um, I was like, uh, I loved, when I was a kid, I, I loved watching, you know, I mean, I don't think I would watch it now, <laughs> just just to be clear. But I, I loved watching Full House because, you know, it was about family and I felt like my connection with my family wasn't as strong. And I kind of felt like, I wish I had that connection Um, and I loved watching Friends. I realized, you know, that the shows that were popular in India were like really kind of white shows and Mm -hmm. I didn't kind of have that understanding until later, obviously, where like what that means and things like that. But I I kind of, I loved The Office. I loved, I mean, I, the office was kind of hard for me because you know i was also struggling with my sexuality and some of the things i felt were like too problematic and i could identify that when i was even younger so um i was like i I don't know if it's that funny but i i did like it a lot um i loved modern family so much like um but now you know when i look at those shows i think well there is no diversity and like that's not Mm -hmm. really fair right like we kind of see all of those things and consider it to be like everyone's experience but then why don't they do that um 
But anyway, so those were the shows I watched. And in terms of movies, I think it was a lot of Hindi films at the time. So I, I, I don't know if you would know any of them, but... I've seen a few, not a lot. Uh, there was a film, Piku, that I really liked. Not familiar with it. The movies I was interested in, again, was about relationship with your parents. I was less, always less interested in romantic relationships. Uh, because I felt like my relationship with my family was so strained and with my sibling was so strained all the time. Um, I gravitated a lot towards those sort of films and shows about friendship and about, you know, relationship with your siblings and your family, um, stuff like that. Yeah, that's interesting that you say Full House because, like, that's, like, an, a show that I also watched so much when I was a kid. And I feel like I'm on the exact opposite spectrum of you. Like, my parents, like, always had the TV on and we always had cable and, like, so many channels. So I feel like we just had, like, full reign of the TV all the time. And so I think that, like, coming from di- different circumstances, we kind of just like, end, ended up at the same place with, like, you know, our love of, like... You mentioned a lot of sitcoms and a lot of like comedic sitcoms. Do you think that you lean more towards comedy um, in your taste or in your like what you create? Or was that just kind of a coincidence? I think that was during a time when I was really depressed. So I did seek out more of like comedic things. Um, And I do have I do love stand up comedy or improv comedy. Like I do love I love comedy like I love dark comedy I love every aspect of comedy like the more absurd the better uh, sitcom is kind of like what I started watching but mm-hmm. now I think it would be a little underwhelming to just have a show that's like community is my favorite show in the like it's like my you know comfort show mm-hmm. I have some problems with it but it's my comfort show uh, nevertheless um so again, that that is kind of a sitcom, but but you know, in the grand scheme of things, if I'm watching a film, pure just comedy won't really do it for me now. Um, but yes, I think being able to laugh freely was kind of like really special and is still really special for me. So I genuinely seek pure emotion of laughter. And like happiness so can you talk a little bit about the more specific gigs that you've worked i know you've done um assistant camera and you said you did some video editing how did you initially stumble upon those uh those jobs and roles and can you talk about um what it was like just working those for the first time yeah i think so when i came to mass art which is where i went for grad school i um I started working for the marketing department and uh, they had me make like 10 or 12 videos for like different uh, students and um, the pay was quite less. It was $18 or six. I want to say for one semester it was 16 and then I had like 10 hours a week and then the other semester it became 18. I'm not sure, but it was quite low. It was minimum whatever the student wage is. Uh, but I was pretty happy with it because um, I was working like 10 hours a week with, for that and I was doing what I wanted to do and then obviously I had different jobs. But um, I was kind of happy to be doing what is it that I want to do for, you know, I had full autonomy. I was going and shooting videos however I wanted and then editing it. 
Um, so that was the first thing. And then uh, in the summer, I was contracted uh, by them to do a video, which paid me more slightly, um, which was an hourly thing, uh, which was just like a flat fee. And then uh, in the fall, again, I started working for them. And I also made some videos for the gallery and their website stuff. Um, so it was like a lot of um, video editing and producing for the college. That was where I started. And then I applied for this internship at Vagrants. I reached out to them, said, I'm really interested in a post-production internship. And they said, yeah, that would be cool. I sent them my work. And then they, I did an internship in the fall with them. Sorry, so I emailed them in the summer and I did the internship in the fall. And I met someone who's a DP there. Um, and I kind of just talked to him about my film and I told him if he knows another DP, could he please, you know, someone younger who would be interested to DP my thesis film. And then he graciously agreed to do it himself. Um, and then that was kind of the turning point for my career, I would say, uh, where because I work so closely with someone so amazing, um, I just kind of like, you know, felt like I really wanted to do that, like how good he was and fast he was. And it was kind of amazing to see that. Like even now, I would just like in setting a frame that I feel I love, like I have to, especially with lighting, right? Like I need the time, but like he is so fast. He immediately knows where all lights need to go and like how it needs to be set up, which is kind of amazing to witness. Um, and after that, he had a feature film. So that is where I got my first uh, kind of boot camp of like of being a second AC. It was an indie project. So, you know, I started in as a camera utility, but they didn't have a second AC. So I was doing pretty much everything a second AC would do. Uh, well, no, not pretty much everything. I wasn't doing media management, which is part of like what a second AC would do but because I was so new I was responsible for slates batteries setting up monitors and kind of just uh, you know making sure everybody has everything that they need um and then they loved the slate slating I did I guess and then after that I kind of started doing other people's thesis projects um and in school I kind of started doing you know everyone's I started doing everyone's you know shoots um, in whatever way I could, uh, you know, not like super big, but like whatever way I could. Um, and then after that, um, I started doing some work on set as either a BTS person or, uh, you know, a PA or, and then I was doing my AC work as well on the side with friends and like their projects, sometimes like a professor, um, or like a corporate shoot or a concert, you know, it depends what it is, but kind of just like pushing myself to do more AC work. And then there are a lot of short films and stuff that people do here, like yeah. filmmakers, right? So who do a lot of commercial work as well. So um, working on their projects with them is the best time to like kind of establish yourself as a serious crew member. Um, yeah, but there's a fine line which kind of like is culturally different like when I'm at work I'm like super serious and like I'm a really fun person but when I'm at work I like compartmentalize that fun aspect yeah. and I think um, this I've had to learn that in American work cultures they kind of want it to be like 
you're having fun, but you're always on top of everything. Or you are looking like you're having fun. And yeah. you're always on top of everything. And for me, it's like, well, I can either be on top of everything or I can have fun. And I can't do both. <laughs> and I can smile all the time, but like, yeah. I can't be like, you know, like I can't be chatting and like I can't. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to. And it's like such a hard job. You're always on your feet and you're always like making sure it, it's an intuitive position, assistant mm-hmm. camera. You are kind of predicting what might go wrong. And like you're kind of being aware of that. Um, especially focus pulling, which is what a first AC does. I primarily do second AC work, but I do for smaller projects, I'll, I'll get hired as a first AC as well. Um, so it's just kind of like, it, that was an interesting thing for me to learn. And I also learned on, on most Boston sets, I was the only woman of color in camera department. Like I met someone recently and I was like, you were literally the only black person black woman I've met who works in the camera department and she's like you're literally the only person of color I've met in the camera department Uh, so it's like she's moving to New York City now and you know those there are some things about it like we gotta keep you know pushing for diversity Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah that's in a nutshell what I kind of do So I was wondering when you kind of just like cold emailed vagrants um, and you like showed them your work, was that a work that you kind of had built up as a student or was it work that you'd like little films you've been making up until like school and throughout school? Like how did you build up your portfolio to then be like, here's what I can do and, you know, hire me? Um, so that was kind of an internship. Uh, and uh, I, I think, I mean, either you do internship for credit or I think they pay, I don't know. I think they're paying 16 or 18. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I'm like really not sure, but it's, it's going to be like really less pay, um, in terms of like the pay. Um, I wasn't paid at all. I mean, I, I worked for them after, but during the internship, I wasn't paid at all, but I really needed to do it uh, and I was working so much like that was a really hard semester for me because I wasn't getting paid for the internship and I don't rec- recommend doing unpaid internships I think it's kind of like you know it perpetuates it, it, the cycle of like labor exploitation more but I was yeah. really desperate because um, I kind of really wanted prof- some professional hook um, and which meant like outside of school i was doing 10 hours of internship um there was there were some perks like there was always amazing food and i could order food and you know coffee and stuff like that and i met with amazing people who worked on my project so it was kind of became a barter thing um yeah. you know like if i were to hire that dp like his rate would be like i don't know like three thousand dollars a day I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's like they are really, like, high-level people. And I took all their equipment, like, for my shoot. So it was, like, I was okay with the with the pay aspect. But I know now they've, they would pay some if you ask for it. I think you should ask for, for the pay. I don't know if they would or not. But in terms of the portfolio, I'd been working for MassArts. I had, like, 12 videos 
short videos for them um i also had like stuff i made before school i kind of sent everything but like i was like this is the short form stuff i did and then this is the stuff i'm doing in school and i'll be real like my school stuff was so bad like um like i think the only good film i've made was like in the last semester when i finished my thesis and so i had two projects that i finished fully in grad school and everything else was incomplete or kind of not great um and those two projects are like the only projects i consider to be like half good and now when i'm out of school like i know how much i can push because i've worked with, on other people's project i guess and you know uh, but anyway so it was kind of not great i think the marketing videos were good but like the my personal work was pretty bad um and but i still send it out i think I personally think like send your best stuff up on the top and just show that you have a bunch of stuff and they're not gonna they don't have the time to see everything. Yeah. They just need to see like you have a ton of stuff. So that that was like my strategy. Where I was like, I'm just gonna send individual links to like literally every video and then they're gonna think, Oh, I have so much I do so much work. <laughs> what initially made you uh gravitate did I I don't know if I asked this question. Um, towards focus pulling um, or would you ever want to pivot toward uh, to any other role no that's a great question I think I think I love AC work like I would want to be like a first AC for like big stuff and like be a union first AC or even a second AC frankly um, in the union and kind of do shows consistently Um, but in my personal work like I think I'm so like in my teaching job, for example, like I was teaching students about like we were doing camera movements, lighting movements. We were setting up, you know, we couldn't do high key lighting because of like we didn't have a ton of equipment for that. And I think it can be really hard without like equipment to shape like, you know, high key uh, to do a high key setup without the ability to shape it and sculpt it. Um, and but we did do a lot of low key setups and like. Uh, you know, I'm interested in lighting as well. So it's it's like I, I'm interested in every single aspect of filmmaking because I consider myself a filmmaker. And I don't think of myself as like, I want to be a director or I want to be a cinematographer. I kind of want to have the ability to play any role, uh, especially in like smaller scale projects. Because when you think about arts, you know, yes, there is value in doing like big scale work and like, you know, because we love watching movies so much, I kind of love the idea of, like, being in a Marvel film and being as a crew and being able to see all this and, like, kind of have fun with it. But that's not a kind of movie that I want to make, you know. That's a movie that I want to be a part of when other people are doing the big work and, you know, I'm doing kind of the crew work, which is also kind of, not to say it's not, like, really hard work, but, like... So, you know, there are kind of movies that you want to watch. There are kind of movies you want to make. And then the kind of movies you want to make as a, as like your own films. And then I think about my own body of work. I think I'm really interested in this, um, doing work with like young people or like, even if I'm doing my own work, like something that is like thematically interesting for me, um, uh, something that can be done in an independent, um, uh, scale, like, you know, so for that, you need to have the knowledge for everything. Uh, because then you're not right. going to be able to then you need like 25 people right because you don't know you can't really 
play any other role. So, so that's why I'm always curious and interested about everything. But I think focus pulling and slating or in the camera department has been really special because I just I I love being so close to to the camera. I love how big it is and like how beautiful it is. The machine. Uh, I love the abilities it has, and I kind of just love every aspect and the thrill of pulling focus when you don't know a lot of the times when you can't see the monitor um it's just it's beautiful <laughs> can you talk a little bit about some of the happy accidents you've maybe um encountered while pulling focus because um like like you just said i think that a lot of the most gratifying parts of film are the things that you just shoot and are that happen that you don't expect and that you're watching back the footage and it just looks really cool so have you ever like had any moments like that of being on set and like pulling focus in a like a certain way and then you watch the edit and you're like wow that's really cool I'm really proud of that yeah I think that's a great question I I, I want to say I've pulled focus for like a total of six or seven projects so it's really not that much that's a lot <laughs> no but like um considering and I've slated for probably more, yeah, more than that. But like in pulling focus, like I, I've definitely done less. Um, I like slated for more duration. So, but I will say there were there are a lot of happy accidents that happen because I am like, I I kind of think emotionally a lot, um, and every time I'm pulling focus, like you get directions from the director, obviously, which is what you should always do right like even if you just do that that's amazing but a lot of times I feel like you know there needs to be a rack towards like another person in the scene or like we need to stay on that person longer and like there are kind of these creative decisions that you you make uh, you know when you're feeling something and that is kind of like and when the director likes it it's really gratifying but for me I think the most gratifying is when I don't need to look at the monitor, I can see the distance and I can pull focus without having to look anywhere. And like, I kind of, I love the tactile nature of like getting my tape out, getting the marks of the distances and kind of marking my, you know, uh, focus pulling device and then kind of just, you know, pulling it uh, intuitively. Uh, and sometimes even there is unpredictability of action or if, if you're shooting f2 f2.8 which is like a really shallow depth of field so you know mm. even small things will kind of make it really big in that um so it's just kind of really amazing to be able to do it and like see that i did a good job i guess yeah i know it was interesting for me like the first time i kind of learned that focus pulling was a thing i was doing this like film program um actually wearing the shirt it's the, i don't know if you heard of it it's the nate parker film institute um it's just it's like a program for a bunch of black filmmakers um and it's out in texas so like you just apply for it and then you um you're tasked with like writing and shooting producing a short film so for that i wanted to be in the cinematography department so i ended up doing some like camera work and then we had a camera production assistant and she had like the, the little like focus puller controller thing and I just remember being like what is that I've, I've never seen that in my life I didn't even know that I guess you could pull focus that way I kind of thought it was all either like with the camera itself or 
done posts or whatever so i think that that's something that i that kind of like piqued my interest and kind of just even made me love film more because i was like wow it's so intricate and it goes so deep and there's a tool for everything like somebody had to like sit and develop like invent a focus puller to like make like the process of pulling focus easier um so i just think that's super cool i also wanted to know a little bit about your experience uh going to mass art because i'm always so interested in hearing from people who have gone to film school because i didn't go to a film school i did a film program at like a liberal arts school and um i feel like if i had i always think about like how my education or career would have been different had i gone to film school because since the school i went to was so small the department was so small it was mostly film theory and not a lot of production courses i kind of had to go out of my way to take as many production courses as i could so i just wanted to know about your experience um at mass art and then also um coming from a engineering background do you have you seen any um overlap between the skills that you developed um doing engineering versus the skills that you kind of hone now doing film that's a great question but i i want to say mastered is not a film school it's an art school um we have a really small film program i preferred that i think you know it wasn't as big as emerson obviously it's also quite underfunded and sometimes it can be frustrating or like you can feel like, you know, you don't have enough when you see someone or some schools have so much. Um, but it also really forces you to think with those restrictions, which I think has a lot of value. I guess it's like it's really like they teach you to make the best out of what you have, which I think is really valuable, especially in the independent film scene. If you go there for undergrad, it's amazing. With graduate, I think the time I went, because it was during the pandemic, there was really low, like there were really few people in the program. Like typically they have like five to seven, which I think is a, is an amazing number of people I would want to work with because I got a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with my teachers. And every time I emailed them, I would hear back from them immediately or like that day or like, not later than that week and you know the one-on-one -on -one time is kind of what really shapes you like you learn a lot as a class and you critique each other's work you watch a lot of films together and that's amazing but you kind of really need someone to look at your work and be yeah. like this doesn't work and like you know be, go more detailed as to like why something doesn't work and a class critique can help if you're less students and we have five hour classes. And if you're five students and each student gets an hour, which is amazing, right? Like you talk about your ideas, yeah, how you yeah. want to take forward and like you can watch the work five times. So I felt like that was really kind of amazing about mass art where like there were because there were less people. If you really want to do something and grow, I think you can do it at mass art mm -hmm. like but it, it ends up being like how motivated you are. You know, whatever you get out of school is what you put into it. Um, yeah. Especially a school like MassArt, which is kind of underfunded. Like teachers have the biggest hearts. Like they want to give you the world. They want to give you the sky. Even though they kind mm. of have like, you know, like dirt. Like, and I don't mean <laughs> like in a bad way, but like they kind of don't have much. Yeah. But they give you everything they have. And they do have a lot, like in in terms of like intellectually, 
there is so much that the faculty gives, right? Conceptually, they give so much. But, like, in terms of the actual tools, right, like film gear, if you go to Emerson, like, they have an Alexa uh, mini LF, I think, or an, uh, some Alexa that they they bought recently. Uh, I don't know which model it is. Um, but we kind of use the Black Magics, which I love, personally. Mm-hmm. But, again, so it's like you kind of have, you have a trade-off, like, you know, you're not going to use cinema cameras, but you're going to have the ma- most amazing teachers. They're going to give you everything they have. They're going to help you with their projects one-on-one a lot, which I think made me a lot better filmmaker than I ever could have been in a bigger school. And the second part of your question about coming from an engineering background, I think, I don't know if it truly affected. I think for me, it's like, I wish I grew up with more arts. That's what I always felt. I felt like I don't, really know a lot of things about art like i think it's probably not true (laughs) no i mean like in terms of like i haven't watched so much because there is so much catching up if i started watching stuff when i was 16 then like Mm -hmm. in the last nine years or or so if i've there's only so much you know the first 16 years i need to catch up to the stuff that was made then or like you know what i mean like so it's like Uh, I feel like so disconnected in that form because I was always studying and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, I think I'm a fast learner and that comes from, you know, having to study so much and like learn everything in that time period um, that comes, you know, with, with STEM students. I think in America as well, like high schoolers are really overstressed for college yeah. and like, um, people really are like fast learners here and hardworking mm-hmm. people um than the general public so i think i i feel like if i'd gone anywhere else i would probably not have fit so seamlessly in the culture but because yeah. i came from india and i came to america which is an extremely hardworking workaholic environment and that's how i grew yeah. up as well so it was kind of like a perfect fit for me yeah in right. a really toxic way <laughs> Well, it seems to be working to your advantage. So the other kind of prong to that question I wanted to ask was, I know you mentioned not growing up around a lot of art and also having like only 30 minutes of time to watch TV as a kid and then having to share that with your brother, um, having conservative parents. How did they feel about you making the career transition from engineering to film? Like, I've been talking to a lot of um, first generation people and um, and also just being first generation as well. I feel like when you tell your parents you want to pursue film or the arts, they kind of just um, shrug it off and they're like, I don't know. Most people just think it's just not feasible, a feasible career. And I understand, I know it's like a very hard career. It's not very like um, linear as like um, being like a pharmacist or something like that. But um, yeah, how, what was the like respo- uh, response you were met with when you told them that? And do you feel like um, coming from that background, um, it kind of stunted you a little bit? Or did you think that it kind of made you kind of like a sponge and more open to kind of like, catching up quote unquote since you know you um weren't allowed all of that like artistic creative freedom as a kid wow there's so much there to unpack um you have great yeah, questions no, it's a deep question. By the, 
by the way. Um, my parents totally <laughs> did not support me when I said I wanted to do film. Um, I'm the first person in my close family with cousins, my first cousins included, who I know of is got a degree in arts and is pursuing a career in arts. Wow. So it's like there are, people have hobbies as arts but like it's not a hobby right like and i don't mean like to undermine the aspect of having a hobby i think it's really special to have a deep hobby and a hobby yeah. can be something you do every day for multiple hours but like where the separation happens when where the economics come in right yeah. like i'm a working woman in the arts and that's like how i make money and that's where the separation comes from it being a hobby than it being a career. So my parents were absolutely not supportive of that in the beginning. I think it was really hard for them to see that. They thought I was maybe having like a reaction to something. Like I, I like rebelling. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's funny in hindsight. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just something about having foreign parents. Like they can either just be like one end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum because yeah my parents are nigerian so it's kind of very similar um that my mom came from a, a microbiology background and then my dad um you know came to america when he was my age and like hustled his way kind of and i i got really lucky because they kind of like suffocated us with arts like they wanted us to be so well-rounded they put us in like band and like music and like I did pian I started piano from when I was five and like picked up different instruments and then they sent us to photography camp and like I, f I felt so lucky in that sense which is I think why I mean it's like I had no I really had no other like like want to go into any other career career field because I was just already doing arts a lot and film I feel like is a convergence of all of those different interests and in arts I had um, developed as a kid but yeah, um, continue for you. I just went on a tangent. No, no, no. It was, I, I love that you said that film is a kind of converging aspect of all other art forms in a lot of ways. And I kind of agree with that. Uh, there's so much like a little bit of everything in film, which is so <clears throat> beautiful. Um, um, so, but my parents started supporting me when they started seeing that, you know, I'm super serious. They kind of did always like my work you know weirdly enough like i made a film about my family and i kind of did some of this wes anderson thing and it was like uh when during the pandemic you know and it wasn't really that wes anderson-y i would say but like it had like the whips and it had like yeah. props and like i would always like kind of try a lot i think mm -hmm. you know if it's colors whatever i thought at the time looked good like i would try to get you know monochromatic looks or like I would try to make props with like stuff like even my first film ever has this shot of like a you know a top bottom shot of like my father opening the a drawer and it has like these notes and it has written it has the word jokes on all of those notes the idea was my father will say the same jokes over and over but it's still funny every time I really like that in the visual image like I was always kind of like trying a lot you know what i mean like i yeah. i feel like and they could see that i think um and that's why they supported me, my education mm -hmm. um and they supported me coming to the u.s um 
but it was definitely really hard for them and i i do kind of see why it is hard because you know again only person getting a degree in the arts and having a career in the arts in my entire extended family um and then you know they're kind of from the business mindset or like education mindset and like for them to kind of see arts as a thing where people can have careers in and can love doing is like so completely alien that idea that you know like i said my mom thinks listening to music is a waste of time so like you know what i mean it's like it's there so that i don't understand though because it that is such a huge part of like uh your culture like it's so big so i don't understand that but you know people everyone's different my mom also hates watching movies like not hates but like she's like it's a waste of time like you should be thinking about what you can do next in your i mean i don't know how to explain but like she doesn't understand know, yeah. emotional growth and like how important it is for like actual growth in any aspect yeah. of your life. Right. Um, but she's also really sweet and supportive. Like, you know what I mean? It's like she's a person who like yeah. doesn't understand some aspects of like things, but like but maybe mm. that's how she grew up. And yeah. now she's taking interest in like video, ed- like she wants to learn video editing and stuff like wow. that. Wow. Now that I am, you know, fully into all this. So it's very sweet i think that she's trying um so parents weren't supportive at the at in the beginning but now they are mm-hmm. it's definitely a lot coming to the us without having any family here and like not really knowing anyone like i came here with zero contacts you know zero everything like so it's really like building your life from like zero and i think that courage i would not have had if i and it translates in all other aspects of my life too. But like, you know, coming in the U.S. for tech is one thing, but coming in the U.S. for the arts and like without knowing anyone is is another thing from coming from a conservative family. Because if I don't make it here, I do have a ton to lose socially. But I think that courage came because my parents were always conservative and I always had to rebel my way to like everything. And being a woman you know, in a conservative family, you can't really, you don't have the privilege to be timid. You know, you have to have courage. You have to stand up for yourself because no one else will. And you have to stand up for it. I have to stand up for my mom and I have to stand up for my sister-in-law. Like I, because I can, I stand up for them. It's so important for, to show solidarity because a lot of times, you know, they're not able to stand up for themselves. Not to say that mm. I am. I need to stand up for other people. I'm just saying, like, sometimes I actually do need to do that. So that courage kind of translated to my work here. I feel very similarly, like... I mean, I don't know uh, everything about my lineage, but I'd be like surprised if I found out that somebody in my family history pursued the arts. Like, um, my parents have not like told me anything about that. I did have a sister who went to music school, but I feel like she was probably the first in other countries. Like going back to what you said yesterday, it oftentimes is a privilege to pursue the arts. Um, and that's just not people's first choice when they're thinking about, you know, uh, higher education a lot of the times thinking about like what can make give them an easier life because you know being an immigrant that is 
such like a struggle that you know you kind of have to live that to understand what it's like i think for my parents they kind of just wanted me to they really wanted me to find the career that was secure and i know for a lot a long time since i like i was young i've always like had a knack for like reading and writing and so my mom was just like you should be a writer you should be a writer and I was like, no, that just doesn't really like keep me stimulated, like itch my brain the way I wanted to. And, you know, filmmakers all write scripts. They write treatments, you write pitches, you know, writing is inherently part of the filmmaking process. But again, I was just trying to find that pocket that really like f- made me filled. And so, yeah, I honestly cannot imagine doing anything else. And it is nice to like finally have your parents support in one way or another not that they didn't ever support me but it is cool to them for them to be like oh send me your website i'll i'll look at it or saying that they're proud of like things that like our generation dares to do because that wasn't really a thing so kind of what i wanted to know is that like how do you see your choice to pursue arts like manifesting in like decades down the line like do you think that will have like impacted your family for the better because I know you said it already has like um it's inspired your mom to like start pursuing editing and stuff like that and for me I think that oh well let's say my sister has a kid and they have an interest in film I want to be able to like help hone that for them like I want to be able to like get them into the industry because I know it was so hard for me um because I didn't have any of those connects so yeah just like talk a little bit about that yeah i think i love that you said that art making often becomes either a privilege or a burden (laughs) you know right like yeah kind of don't make any money and you're like i gotta get another job but i still want to do this because i love doing this and you know so it's it's like it's so funny because you because we artists love what they do so much they kind of have the courage to pursue it because they don't know anything else that they would rather do. Um, So I think, yeah, I think there is so much value in, in just having people pursuing arts, but like, but like, you know, the way way we look at artists is like, we consider, especially in India, like someone who's like really well established and like makes a ton of money. And those are like 10 people compared to like how many people want to be, you know a working artist so i think my goal always is to like and if i'm living in the u.s for example or if i go back is is to always have community art centers and like to always push arts in a way that is like really accessible in not Mm -hmm. only in terms of consumption but also in terms of making um and that is i think one of the ways i see like real impact can happen in a community like i I don't know how much I can push my parents uh, to be a certain way, but I know that any person who has the slightest desire to like make art and like comes in contact with me, it, you know, obviously right now I don't have the economic tools to, to help someone like that, but like that's my ambition to like have community art centers that like push people to kind of do what they really want to do and like, find help them find their voice and confidence in the work that they want to show and make and that is kind of like my goal and mission in life to make to demystify the making of art 
in every form. Because even if you end up pursuing a STEM degree, it's still valuable to have made a ton of art during your, you know, formative years, which is like the teenage, entire teenage. So, yeah, but I would definitely, obviously, you know, if someone wanted to be an artist, especially in the film, in my family, I would totally help them out. Like, that's that's obviously given, but... No, yeah, I feel like, for me, what really kind of solidified my passion for film was um, volunteering at my, like, local broadcasting station like i don't know if you like have ever worked at one or volunteered at one but like most cities will have like local access television so it's like things that they shoot and it'll usually like air on tv and you don't have to have cable to watch it and it's kind of just very like the most random content like you'll ever see but when i was like 15 i had a friend who she would do like a lot of things around the community different programs and stuff and she was like oh you should like come to Malden Access Television, which is like where I grew up. And so I did that when I was, I want to say I was 15. And then I took like the uh, intro to final cut and then camera editing basics. And then I kind of just kept doing little like courses with them. And I was like, before I knew it, I was like honing an interest in film. And like, like you said, I also had that aspect of having to like go out of my way to find films like I would... So I was like really into pop culture so whenever I would like hear about films I would like go to the library and like request them and like take them out and like that act of like seeking something out really made me feel like I like had something special and I was like diving into a community that like sure my friends might not have seen this film but I know like online there are people who have and so I would like research more into the films research more into the actors and kind of like develop my own little niche in that way which is that was really important to me so I feel like that that definitely like carries across like people I know who become interested in film and like decide to pursue that as a career and so I also wanted to ask about the money and salary and I feel like right now the film jobs I've worked have mostly been free or they like pay you in food um and I literally the only thing I've been paid for was the project I did with you like the the one that we just did with JT and um, MIT so like my goal is to get more gigs like that because that is the best paid gig I like have ever worked and I remember like being paid for that and I was like this is like the standard like this would be crazy if I was like working a full-time job and this was the rate I just want to like know how you do it all like how do you budget how do you like work out a rate how do you make ends meet with this job because like we're both still so young and film jobs are so few and far between especially when you're still establishing yourself so I just want to know how you do it how do you sustain yourself because right now I have another full-time job which is it's in the entertainment industry but it's not what I want to be doing in the long run so yeah I just wanted to know a little bit about how you've been able to manage working in these film jobs yeah the so I'll talk about a few things here um so i think in terms of like so there are different different aspects right like there's the video editing teaching assistant camera pa right they all have different rates um in terms of management of 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 money i you know i make invoices and i have a spreadsheet of like how much money i spend and then i also have deductions for my taxes like anything i buy or you know, I receipts that I need to keep so to, you know, show that I spent it for the 
for my work, you know, as like an expense. Um, so kind of like my, so I have a spreadsheet of like the money, the check I got for like X amount of money and then the expenses. Um, starting out, if you are even just doing PA work on commercial sets, you can pretty confidently demand $35 an hour, I think, if you're just starting out. So it would be 35 for 10 plus standard overtime, which is um, $350 for the day or sometimes, you know, 400 depends, 375 You kind of have to like, you know, but I'm saying you can comfortably start with 350 um, And then you kind of uh, go and sometimes they'll have overtime, like you work, you know, 12 hours and that means for the next two hours you would, you will get 70 bucks an hour so you've made for 12 hours you've made about like 490 dollars make sure in your invoices you add everything for the travels so, or your parking like keep the receipts everything is reimbursed um the mileage is 0.65 dollars per mile so make sure you kind of like you know just be aware of rates and Mm -hmm. Don't be scared to ask people how much they're getting paid. Like, I think that is kind of a hard thing to ask, but it depends how you approach it. You know, if you approach it with like, I really kind of just want to know if this is a career for me. Like, yeah. how much can you expect to make in X amount of years? And I asked a lot of people that, and there were a lot of people who make six figures, and they're not like DPs or, you know, DPs obviously do make that. But I'm talking about like mm -hmm. best boy G&E people who kind of yeah. make a lot of money. So I kind of realized that I've been undercharging a lot. You know, like you need to know, you need to know the union rates and most commercial stuff. If you don't get the higher end of the union rate, you can still demand the lower end of that range of yeah. union rate for the job you're doing. Because commercials have a lot of budget. They have a lot of budget. So it's really important to kind of like, Make sure that you you are confident, not arrogant. You know, there is a difference in asking the rate. In terms mm -hmm. of corporate stuff, it's been usually, again, like 350 to 500 um, for assistant camera for me per day. Like, that's been the range. Um, and I, I kind of just... I haven't asked for more in that because I haven't done a ton of that work. And I kind of, mm -hmm. and it's it's a lot less stressful than working on a set. It's a lot, a lot less time. So it's like, you know, you work for five to eight hours max. And so I'm happy with that pay. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of don't think about, oh, I could be getting hundred bucks more for this. Like, I kind of just let it go. And I'm really happy with like, so in terms of hourly rate, it will come down to, it will become higher than 35, but, you know, but it's not like you're doing it consistently as much. So it's like a day rate. Um, again, for assistant camera, for video editing, again, you can have 300, 350 day rates. But usually, you know, for me, when I'm, and I've not done a ton of commission work, like I have done few, but not a lot. So the, I'll just have a flat rate, you know, like I edited an intro for Community Access TV, actually. Uh, weirdly enough in Boston and they paid me $300 for it but it was like a 35 40 second but then for Massard I've had sometimes been paid you know a thousand dollar for a video or I've sometimes been paid like 200 so it's really like you know it's kind of like 
how you what is the scale for it how much time you're going to take where you are in your career it could be 18 dollars an hour it could it could be for 40 bucks an hour 50 60 mm-hmm. like it really is like but in the beginning i would say if you're getting paid jobs for even 20 bucks 18 20 bucks an hour doing the work you want to do um i would go for it just because like that portfolio really helps to get other work. And then in terms of the teaching job I had, that was $35 an hour for um, the teaching and then $20 an hour for the prep. So that also I felt, because I was young and I was just getting into teaching, the pay was lower than I would have wanted. Um, Because, you know, a lot of times you're not like logging prep hours and like, you know, like I, I, I would get extra time other than my class. Like I was basically working full time at this teaching job. I was working 38 hours a week, but it was it was only for six weeks. So it's like it's a seasonal full time position. Mm-hmm. So so I wasn't really like logging in prep hours. I was just logging in all my teaching hours and then my teaching hours kind of extended. Like so if it's a class from nine to one, I get like time from like eight forty five to one thirty kind of, you know, because like. So I would make sure that I'm getting paid for like the work I'm doing and I would kind of put that in my timesheet. So it's not to say that you're exploiting because, you know, you're not exploiting big corporations. You're just get kind of getting paid for the work you did. And I realized that I should have been paid 50 bucks an hour because it was really a lot of work. And like, mm-hmm. it was like, it was a lot of students yeah. and they were charging a lot of money from the students. So yeah. if you think about that dynamic, I felt I should have at least gotten 50 an hour for that. Um, mm-hmm. So like, I've never made more than 50 an hour at any job yet. I know that people, union folks who make like 85, 90 bucks an hour. <laughs> That's honestly, I can't even wrap my head around that because I'm still trying to break the 20s most for most of the jobs like I've worked in, you know, like, Obviously, the first job I ever worked, I was 16. Like, I was working at a bagel place. I think I was making $12 an hour. So, like, from $12 an hour to, like, what I'm currently making, I feel like I've made, like, a good jump. But, again, it's still trying to just, like, get over that uh, that hump of, like, okay, I'm a post-grad student. I'm young. Luckily, I'm on my parents' insurance still. Like, the only thing I'm really paying for at, um, is rent and sometimes groceries as well. So it's just, like, finding that sweet spot of, like, how much money do I actually need to be making at these gigs an hour to be able to sustain myself. And so right now I'm like, okay, I'm not being employed full-time by a production company, so that's why I need to, like, look for other jobs to, like, support myself. And then uh, if, I, if I ever want to move to, like, an industry hub city like California or, um, like, L.A. or New York, I need to have savings to be able to move to these places. And, you know, it's kind of like a cycle, and I think it can be hard to like stay focused and like do what do what you need to do in order to like um make ends meet uh, but i feel like it's training for the future not a lot of people like are able to like to develop those skills of like you know budgeting and like organizing and working out timing and stuff like that sort of just like last few questions i want to ask wrapping up um i know you got into this yesterday but i kind of wanted you to talk about why you like working with kids so much specifically the age range you did which was i think you said 14 to 17 
And something you mentioned yesterday was that you would like for art to be considered less of a privilege for people who want to pursue it seriously and be kind of more accessible. Yeah, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I I had a last uh, follow-up thought about like your the whole budgeting aspect. I think I've realized to live decently in Boston without having to worry constantly about money need to make $60,000 a year. That's like the yeah. minimum. Minimum, you know? yeah. And so that translates to... And I'm saying this after taxes, okay? Like, I'm not saying you we have a $60,000 salary and we have $12,000 in taxes. We end up getting, you know, and then you, may, you give money for insurance. Like, I have car insurance, health insurance, rent. I live with my partner, so we have slightly extra for rent. Parking tickets, <laughs> car maintenance. And without car, you can't really work in the industry. So it's like, yeah, and I have to keep getting AC gear. And like it's, it's like, it's really... A lot of investment you need to keep doing and you need to have some cash so like my goal is to like after taxes have in hand at least sixty thousand dollars you know and kind of transition make it more over the next five yeah, years gradually. so that's like kind of like and like you know you can ask for a good rate and kind of be like hey i'm happy to do this for this time but actually these are my rates you know if you really want the job and you are scared to get that job and then you can get a job for like 30 bucks an hour and then do it really well. And then, you know, they'll hire you for 35, which is your rate. Like you can kind of fix your rate and be confident about it, which I think is really hard for some of the I've noticed in Americans, it's particularly harder. Uh, I don't know. There's something about the culture where like people feel really grateful for a job and like which is true. But like also, you know you are doing the labor so you do deserve the pay if that makes sense be confident go for go for it go ask what you feel you deserve in a nice way um and in terms of like working with teens which i i want to segue to i think the reason why i love working with 14 to 17 age group is because they are semi-adults i think they're kind of like not fully adults and they are they are expected to act like adults but they are treated as children and that's really hard. And I, I knew how hard it was for me to be a teenager because of that, you know, expectation versus like where I emotionally was. And there is just so much like and they're also like kids, right? Like they're basically kids when they're less than 17. So they have this like purity and passion in them and they are not corrupted yet, which I find very, very special. I love working with students when they have these like sparks of ideas or when they realize that they've learned something that they thought they were never able to, you know, never going to be able to learn. And then, you know, once they understand what it is, they have like 25 different ideas that they want to pursue next. And it's like, it's so special for me to witness that it's, it's, it's just amazing to see the kid energy in an almost grown up person. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's it's really special. And and again, like I want to go back to some of the things I've been talking about throughout the, you know, our talk, which is art making is so fundamental to being a human being. And I want every single person in their lives, no matter if they decide to be a banker or they decide to be, you know, go into finance or, you know, actually be a working artist to experience that. That joy of making art art and the joy of sharing and the joy of creating work together 
uh, with your friends. It's so special. It's unlike any other experience. And that's like my mission, I guess, in life in a lot of ways. It really is so special. It's like so, I think it's such like a pure wholehearted mission to have because it's so unique to everyone who creates it. Like no matter, you don't have to want to be a filmmaker to to make films that are important to you. You know, like people make little videos all the time and take photos all the time. Those are memories and that itself is art because of what is attached to it, like the sentimentality behind it. I I would hope that a lot of the people who are in the film industry do it not for the money because it's not even guaranteed that you're going to make a lot of money, but I, I feel like it's because they do again have that like kind of pure, those pure intentions of I have this passion for art and I want to spread that as much as I possibly can. So yeah, I definitely like I fall in line with that as well. So in just wrapping up, I kind of have had one question that I've been asking everyone I've had on this podcast and it's when people think of your art or see your art, what do you want them to think? Like, how do you want them to be impacted by that? What do you want them to leave the experience of viewing your art with like what emotions in mind or state of mind yeah i think i wanted to feel like a big hug has been given to them that's like my biggest thing i think i love crying and laughing in movies a lot and um i love sweetness and i love like you know i'm interested in bigger themes as well like the work i wanted i'm gonna be making next is a lot about like you know themes around housing and how it impacts like um couple who's newly married or whatever but end of the day i'm just really interested in me in like telling everyone or not everyone but whoever is coming close to my work that i see you and this is how i feel all the time and hopefully if you feel like that some of the times you know you feel seen and like Mm -hmm. i also want to give you a tight hug because life is hard (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's kind of like what a takeaway from like all my work I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode stay tuned for the episodes to come where I may or may not be speaking to some of my friends who just read production with their own short films and also a special guest which brings us into the theater world of this podcast this special guest writes and produces his own musicals and you're not going to want to miss that thanks for listening